As Pastor Lee was praying about uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday and his voice cracked up, um, I was reminded of a word that I heard from John Piper years ago. He said, I will never trust a man in ministry that will not cry, that could look out at the brokenness in this world and not be affected to tears. I want no part of serving with a man like that on my team. And uh, it's beautiful to have the hearts of the people who are called to lead this body to know that they have not been calloused and they are still affected when they look out at the brokenness in this world. And it's an honor to serve alongside of such men. Thank you. Um, just a quick piece of information about this trip that I'm heading out to. Um, I have to be in uh, Philadelphia. Um, so pray for that. Um, so who wants to be in Philadelphia, especially when they're going to get drubbed today by the Vikings? Um, but um, <laughs> Philly people booing is literally the definition of white noise. Like, it's all you do. So <laughs> we don't even hear it. Um, but uh, we're heading out to Colorado to be with... Uh, group of leaders from around the world. There's six men that lead our church planting network, and uh, they were silly enough to ask me to be one of those six. And it's, it's an honor. Um, in those meetings, one of the things that just constantly brings me to a place of gratitude, we talk about church planting a lot here. We're in the middle of planting a church. Um, Redeemer Brick is meeting on Sunday nights. I don't know if you were aware of this, but eight out of ten church plants close their doors within three years of their first service. It is a kamikaze mission, and from what I've heard, that statistic is growing worse, not better. Um, Crossway, the network that we are a part of, has had 100% success in planting churches. They've never seen that statistic, and it's because of the medal of man that they send out. They test these people. They raise them up from within. And by the time they are sent, they have been assessed, battle-tested, and they are not going out as lone rangers but as part of an army. And uh, that's what we meet for once each year to discuss how we can serve the church plants domestically and globally. So we would ask your prayers because it's a big job and it's uh, not one that we can do in our own human wisdom, nor would we want to. Um, well, last week we looked at our only hope in this life and in the next, that we are not our own, but we belong to God. 
As we looked at that, what we're doing is we're declaring our family relationship with God. The reality that we belong to him is lived out as we take on this identity of being a part of a new family. He is our father and we are his children. Uh, We looked at what it means to belong to God in a world where people are so eager to declare their autonomy and independence, and it's been that way since the third chapter of Genesis in antiquity past, we looked at the fact that it is truly good news. And when we say good news, that's where we get the term gospel. Gospel just means the message of good news, and it is truly good news that you are not your own. You belong to God. No Christian has it completely mastered when it comes to understanding how good this news truly is. But growth in Jesus means that we begin to find our identity less and less in what this world has to offer and the benchmarks that we would look to give us meaning or purpose in this world. And we're increasingly finding our identity, deriving our sense of purpose in what it means to belong to God and to be one of his children. And it's news that's so glorious, you're going to spend the rest of eternity trying to figure out the depths and the riches that are yours through your family inheritance of belonging to God. And this week, we go to the next logical step. We look at our birthright as children. The dictionary definition of birthright is, check this out, any right or privilege that one is entitled to by merit of their birth. I loved that the definition used the term merit. Merit is defined as something that you have earned or have done something to deserve. And when you think about the term merit and talking about birthright, what we're saying is the only thing that you did to earn the sense of privilege that we have as his children was to be born. What a great gospel setup. Because as we talk about the promises that are ours because of our birthright, What we're saying is these promises and privileges have been granted to people who the only thing that they did to merit them was to be born anew into God's family by his grace. The concept of birthright is as old as time. You might remember stories in the Bible like Jacob and Esau, where Jacob was a swindler who swindled his brother out of his birthright. And then you see that kind of problematic stuff continue to go through the family of lineage with the story of Joseph, where his brothers get angry with him because he's given a privileged position to the father even though they didn't believe that that was truly his birthright. The concept of birthright is all over Scripture. Those who recognize God as their father and understand their sonship to him are also going to have a great part of their birthright that you get an inheritance. In 1 Peter 1, 3-5, it states that we have been given a glorious inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, laid up in heaven for us. In Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, it states, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined, been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things 
according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we're going to discuss a part of that inheritance this morning, being inheritors of the promises of God. So last week we looked at how we belong to God. Well, God has made promises to those who belong to him. And this week we're going to see that since we belong to God, the promises of God belong to us. And God always keeps his promises. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. As we get into this text, we're going to see Paul argue for something that's going to direction that we're going to be going. God, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your divine inspired word. Open up our hearts, illuminate our minds that we might see Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. So God demonstrates his faithfulness is always yes in Christ Jesus is what we're going to be seeing as we unfold our text. Paul's argument's kind of odd here, but what he does really sets up what he's talking about. If you're able to follow along with the argument, the tension here is that he wanted to go and visit this Corinthian church that he is writing to again. Look at verses 15 through 17 of chapter 1. It says, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you so that you might have a second experience of grace. Wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make a plan, my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? So the tension is that he really wanted to go and visit this church again, but there's some minor things that are getting in his way. Minor things like trying to escape persecution from people that wanted to behead him and other minor things like getting thrown in prison. So he sincerely made a sincere effort to go and see them. It's not like when you tell somebody, anybody ever say this to you or maybe you said, oh, I was going to call you. Don't you just love it when people say that? Like, I never know how you're supposed to respond when somebody says, Oh, I was going to call you. I was going to call you, but but what? You, you didn't call me. Like, what, do you want me to say thanks that you were going to call me? It's such an awkward thing to say to people. But this isn't that. He's not saying, oh, I wanted to come, but I just didn't. Um, this is a whole different animal that he's looking at. We're talking about being a whole continent away. He had no phone. He stuck in jail, and when he did travel, he had pesky things like shipwrecks and trying to avoid being killed to worry about. So what he's saying is, when I told you that I wanted to come and visit you, I meant it because my word means as much to me as if I've promised. And then he points to God's faithfulness to keep his promises. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says, as surely as God is faithful... Our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes or no, but in him it's always yes. 
For all the promises of God find their yes in him. This is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So the point that he's trying to make, and it's, it's pretty convicting really, he's saying that God always keeps his promises. So as someone who's representing this God as a preacher of the gospel, that when he makes a promise, he takes faithfulness to that promise as seriously as if it was God making that promise. That is just so hard to wrap your mind around in this culture where promise does not mean a whole lot, does it? And he's telling you, no, this, this tore me up to not be able to come because when I make promises, I want to be a reflection of what God is doing in and through me to you. So I want my word to mean something as if it was God who is giving you his word. What he's really doing is putting the character of God on display. He's doing what every good sermon should do. He's pointing to Jesus. And he's saying Jesus is the ultimate proof all of us, that God is faithful to keep his promises because Jesus came and lived out the very definition of faithfulness and Jesus demonstrated God's faithfulness to keep his promises in the very flesh. Jesus was the embodiment of God's promises. Jesus was God's promises putting on a flesh suit to come and tabernacle among us, as it says in John one. And then Paul says something else that's pretty interesting. He says in verse 20 that all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. Again, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So all of God's promises find their yes in Christ. So God promised to deliver and he delivered all of those promises and more in the person of Jesus Christ. And we also see at the end of the verse that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. Amen just means let it be. That's the translation of that word. So all of God's promises find their yes and their let it be in Christ. So what does it mean that God's promises find their yes in him? Clean my glasses and I'll tell you. There are so many examples that all I can do is point out a few to kind of help you smell what Paul is cooking over here. Um, God promised that the seed of a woman would come and crush the works of the serpent back in Genesis 3. God promised that through the line of one man, he would create a line of descendants that would be more numerous than the stars, Genesis 12 and 15. God promised that through the line of one man, he would create a family. God promised that through the line of one man, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. God promised that he would provide an offering for our sin and that he himself would provide the perfect substitute. All of those promises found their yes in Christ and there's so many that all I did was look at the first 22 chapters of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And that's where all of those promises 
came from. You could keep going and going and going. And the promises that were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ literally go from cover to cover in our Bible. So first of all, God's promises found their fulfillment in Christ. But it also means, more directly based on the context here in 2 Corinthians, that all of God's promises find their yes through Christ and all of us who are in Christ. There is this beautiful doctrine in the Bible. It's not one that's talked about nearly enough considering the scope of how much Paul talks about it. And that is called our union with Christ. Paul's most used phraseology in all of his letters are two little words, in Christ. He repeats it over and over and over in every epistle. And what he's doing is referring to our union with Christ. That's what Paul was describing in detail in Romans 6. It's saying that all of the elect are literally in Christ in a spiritual sense, but also in a very real and a very tangible sense. So when Jesus hung on the cross, it was as if you were in Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. And when Jesus died to sin, all who were in Christ died that death to sin once and for all. When Jesus said, it is finished, he pronounced an end to striving and an end of the curse of the law for all who were in Christ. That's why Paul can say, I've been crucified with Christ, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me in Galatians 2.20. When he rose from the dead, because of our union with Christ, you literally rose with Jesus when he rose from the grave. And when he walked out of the tomb victorious, you walked out of the tomb with him because of your union with Christ. You share in his victory. So by sharing in his victory, you are also pronounced victorious because of your union with Christ. That's what Paul meant when he kind of brings this argument to completion in Romans 6, 5. And he says that if we're united with him in a death like his, shall we not also be united with him in a resurrection like his? It's deep and it's kind of mystical, but it's beautiful to think about and to try to wrap your mind around. So in sharing what this has to do with the main thought of our message, our union with Christ is such a beautiful truth because all of the things that the Father is able to speak over Christ, he can say of those who are in Christ. So when the Father looked down at Jesus as he was being baptized by John the Baptist and the Spirit descended as a dove and he said, behold. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Guess what? You who belong to God, you share in that pronouncement that was made of Christ. It's as if he is looking down at you and pronouncing, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. The father's delight in his son becomes his delight for all of those who belong to the son. And as the Father is pleased with the Son, he is pleased with all whom the Son has set free. So the idea that I'm trying to set up before I go into the meat of this, which is going to be the promises, is that 
Our union with Christ means that if we're in Christ, God's promises belong to us through Christ. And I want to spend the next few moments looking at 15 promises that belong to you because you, as we looked at last week, belong to God. The first is that he promises that he would never leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. Because you belong to him, he promises to you, child of God, that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. That promise is yours as you who belong to him. Number two, he promises to love you with an everlasting love, as he says to Jeremiah 31.3. The beauty of that promise is he is speaking to the people of Israel at the height of their unfaithfulness. And in the middle of it, he has this little break where he says, look, I'm going to continue to relentlessly and recklessly love you with everlasting love. Number three, he promises that he will be as a father to us and that we will be his children. 2 Corinthians 6, 18 through 7. He will always be our daddy. And you can't stop being his kid if he set his mark on you. One of my absolute famous favorite promises that correlate to this idea of belonging is he promises that if we delight ourselves in him, that he will grant you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. Think about this. This is such an amazing promise because what you see is two streams that were headed in the opposite direction that end up morphing together to become this mighty river through Christ. And what I mean by that is it is not in your nature, your natural nature, to delight in the Lord. Romans 1 and 2 make that so clear that apart from his regenerating grace, none of us would seek to delight in him. But something happened when he chased you down, when he released the hounds of heaven on you. He captured your heart. And in doing so, he captivates your heart. And as he does so, he begins to change you from the inside out. There is a metamorphosis that's taking place. And he is changing your heart from the inside and doing this beautiful work that is permeating through the outside. And as he does, he begins to change the desires of your heart from the inside out. And as he does... He begins to change what we delight in. The things that we used to delight in no longer hold the attraction that they used to, do they? We're given a new object of our delight. So as our heart begins to delight in him, the desire of our hearts begin to beat a singular beat. The desire of our heart begins to be to further delight in him. So check this out. It's circularly awesome. By delighting in him, he becomes the desire of our heart, causing us to further delight in him, causing, us, causing him to show more of himself and reveal more of himself to us, thus fulfilling what has become the desire of our hearts. So as those of us who belong to him learn to delight in him, he grants us more of the desire of that delight by further captivating our hearts. Brothers and sisters, that's a promise 
to you who belong to him. Number five, he promised that we do not need to be dismayed or discouraged because he will go with us wherever we go. He reiterated that promise in what we know as the Great Commission as he sent us out to be his disciple makers and image bearers. They said, lo, I am with you even until...